The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. Uh, we're going to read verses 3 through 5. And like we said last week, the Apostle Paul, he's writing this young pastor, Timothy, and he's giving him some things to watch out for in his church. And he says in 1 Timothy 6, verse number 3, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, Paul tells Timothy he's proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings. And here's where we're focusing on for this sermon, our thoughts about others, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. We're going to pray, and the pastor is going to bring the last part of the message, our thoughts about others. Welcome once again to Ambassador Baptist Church. It's so good to have each and every one of you as a part of our service this morning as we continue this series, What's on your mind. Um, how many of you have enjoyed the kind of the sermon bumpers that have gone along with this and uh, the video? Our guys do such an incredible job putting this media together, and I want to thank Kurt and Alan and others uh, who kind of make all this media possible. Uh, today we have Mark with us, and Mark is the kind of the star of this particular bumper, and uh, Kurt had met him recently, uh, and right now uh, Mark is going through uh, the Fresno Rescue Mission program. In fact, uh, he's been there for a year. And he's about to graduate this Tuesday And so we're pumped for him And uh, thank you so much Mark For your willingness to help us out with some of this And uh, we love you and we're for you And we're excited about what God has uh, for your future And so looking forward to that Well, one of the things that sometimes I'll be talking to different uh, friends of mine and things, and one thing that I do a little bit different than maybe some other pastors and things is I I tend to do a lot of my sermon prep way out. And so a sermon series like this, we would have been working on, I would say, anywhere from six to nine months ago. About August time is where we started working on this particular series. And then I would have written the main points and outline for the sermon I'm about to preach, and I would have written it back in February, all right? And so it's been several months, and sometimes we uh, uh, like to kind of give the Holy Spirit plenty of time to prep. And so I say all that to simply say this, you know what? I honestly believe that, you know, the Holy Spirit can direct a message um, six months before as easily as he can the night before, all right? And I've never been one of those night before pastors who write my sermons, you know, two or three days uh, before the sermon. And yet it's amazing how God knows exactly what needs to be preached when. And so I thank you for those who've been praying with me through this particular series. And I think God's been using it in some special ways. And so literally since we wrote the outline for this back in February, I've been excited about the opportunity of being able to share it with our church family today. Uh, As we've been saying over the last few weeks, most Christians don't think about what they think about. Okay, so you were starting to get that a little bit, all right? And that's what this series is about. It's an opportunity for us to kind of step back and think about what it is that we think about. And so we're going on to part two here of our message, our thoughts about others. So real quick in review, they're going to throw this back on the screens, but surmising, all right? And the surmising is the formation or expression of an opinion without sufficient evidence for proof. It is to conjecture, it is to guess, it is to assume, it is to be suspicious, all right? And and that's what surmising means. And when we read that in the scripture a moment ago, that is what the apostle Paul is referring to. He says, hey, be on guard of this. Surmising happens according here as we're going to 
see in verse 4, it happens when pride gets into our heart. And when pride gets in, surmising is going to be the foregone conclusion every single time. And so we're diving deep into this idea. Uh, It isn't what you don't know for sure. Uh, It isn't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. We said this last week. It's what you know for sure that just isn't so. How many of you have been there before, you know? It's not what we don't know that gets us into trouble. It's what we know for sure that just isn't so. And so we've got to be careful of that. We said last week our suspicions are not reality, all right? Sometimes suspicions align with reality, uh, and sometimes they don't. But suspicions aren't intrinsically reality. And secondly, our suspicions are influenced by the condition of our heart. What we see in others, what we see around us, is largely influenced by the condition of our heart. So here's our theme for this morning, and that is simply this. Negative suspicion, or what the Bible refers to as evil surmising, is the silent killer of relationships. Whether this is in your marriage, whether this is with your extended family, uh, whether this is at workplaces or even in the context of the local church, the reality is this. When we allow uh, evil surmising, when we allow negative suspicions about this individual or that group of people, what we're doing is we're, we're literally laying the seed that will eventually sabotage and unravel that relationship. And so we're going to dive into this this morning as we're going to continue by looking at how easy it is to become suspicious of people's motives, people's intentions, and their agendas. And we're going to talk through what does the Apostle Paul have to say about this. In order to do this, let's get right back to our text, all right? So I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to explain this particular passage, and then we'll draw a couple of applications here from it. Notice verse 4. The Bible says, when we're proud, those that are proud, verse number four, they're knowing nothing, notice this, but doting about questions. Now, how many of you are guilty of of doting about questions? You say, I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? (laughs) Doting about questions. I've never heard that phrase before. What what are we even talking about? Uh, I'll say this. Let Let me put it in our modern vernacular, all right? It's simply this. It's an unhealthy interest in in controversy. An unhealthy interest in controversy. Do you have an unhealthy, an unhealthy interest in controversy? In an unhealthy interest in arguments. We might use this phrase, an unhealthy interest in drama. All right? Doting about questions. All right? That's what that's referring to. And strife of words. It's when we use words to not create peace, not create a sense of an environment where things can reconcile together, but we use our words to divide. It says he's proud, doting about questions, unhealthy interest in controversies and arguments. It says this, it goes on, strifes of words, where cometh envy? Strife, here's another word, railings. Railings? What's, what, what is railings? What does that have to do? Railings is simply malicious gossip. It's when instead of going to an individual that there seems to be an offense with, you go to somebody else. 
all right? And this is, this is kind of a, the, the gossip, and this is what the Bible says. This comes from a place of pride, that, and we talked about pride a couple of weeks ago, and what happens when we allow pride to get into our heart is all of a sudden there's going to be an unhealthy interest in controversy. We're going to find that arguments begin to go on. Rather than talking to the individual person, we're going to partake in malicious gossip and slander. Here's what the Bible says here. It goes on and says when there's pride, here's what happens. There is this unhealthy interest in controversy. There's a lot of drama and arguments. There is here strife of words. What happens when there's pride? There, there cometh envy. There's now strife. There is railings. There's malicious gossip that begins to take place. There's slander. Notice what it, what it goes on to say, and evil surmisings. What happens when there's pride in the life? What's, what does that mean, evil surmisings? I, I don't think any of us have ever been like, oh, I'm, I'm guilty of evil surmising. What does that mean? It simply means suspicion. That's, that's what we're talking about. When we say surmising, it's, it's, it's a suspiciousness. It's, it's a, huh, I wonder, what, I, wonder what their, I wonder what their real motive is. I wonder what they're really thinking. Rather than just going and having conversations, rather than just face-to-face, uh, all of a sudden there's something that keeps us from being able to go to that place. And so we'll talk to this person. That's, that's what we're talking about, railings. We'll, we'll get involved with railings because there is this, uh, what the Bible says, surmising or this evil suspicion. All right, and so that's what, we're, that's what we're talking about today. And so this, when it comes to this, notice this phrase here, when it says evil surmisings, it's, it's kind of saying, hmm, I, I, wonder, I wonder what's really happening there. And it's totally healthy to come to a place where we would say, you know what, I'm sensing something, so I am going to instigate a conversation. I'm going to call the person up and say, I'm going to text the person, I'm going to, I'm going to move into that messiness Rather than moving away from it and finding somebody whose ear we can get or being an ear that will listen to it, rather than saying, hey, listen, what do we do to just, how do we instigate the conversation? How, how can we together go to the source of this thing and have a spirit-filled, gracious, merciful conversation about this particular thing? But oftentimes what happens is that rather than engaging that in the physical plane, because that's highly uncomfortable. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's highly awkward nobody wants to do this. I don't want to do this. I hate doing this, you know, trying to instigate a conversation or instigate a meeting or be the one to pick up the phone or send the text message and say, hey, we need to meet or we need to talk. Nobody wants to send that text message. Nobody wants to make that phone call because it's highly uncomfortable. It's totally awkward. And most of the times it doesn't end up all going all that well. <laughs> Unless the spirit of God is a part of it. And then in Christ, there is hope. There is hope. Which leads us here, this evil suspicion leads us to our first thought this morning, and that's simply this. Don't be suspicious of people's motives. This is what we're talking about. Surmising. I wonder why, I wonder why they're doing what they're doing. I wonder what the motive is behind this. This happens a lot in marriages, you know. We surmise with our spouse. I wonder, I wonder why she said that. I wonder why he did that. Uh, oftentimes this happens in workplaces. We start surmising. We start getting suspicious about our boss's motives. How many of you are managers or bosses and you've had people surmise or get suspicious of decisions you've made? How many of us, we've been there. We've been on both sides of this thing many times. Why? There's, there's just a, there's a state of suspicion there. The Bible says that tends to come from a place of pride. Now, 
what we're going to say in a moment, and I want to caveat this, we are not saying that motives do not matter. Motives matter immensely. And you know what? There are even moments where wisdom would say we need to have conversations about those things. We're not saying we can't talk about it. The, the focus of this particular series is what happens in our heads, what happens between our two ears, what goes on in our you know, thinking and what goes on in our thoughts. And that's where we need to be on guard. That's where we need to be careful. If the Lord leads us to instigate a conversation with somebody, let's do it. Let's go to that person like Matthew tells us to do. Let's have those conversations. But in our minds, we need to be very careful of the suspicions that take place. Why? Because almost every time it comes from that place of pride. Matthew talks about judge not, lest ye be judged. I don't have time to preach a whole message on all the implications because it's a passage that is often taken out of context. But I will tell you a part of what it's referring to, and that is this. Be careful of judging that which is unseen. Motives heart, all right? If that needs to be made aware, then as a wife, you need to go to your husband and have that conversation. As an employee, rather than surmising or getting suspicious about why your manager is making the decision he's making or why some coworker is doing what they're doing or why some family member is accomplishing what they're accomplishing, rather than just letting it go over and over in your head and coming up with all these theories and ideas and suspicions and surmisings, rather than letting that happen in our mind, we need to take a step back and say, one, is this important? If it is, let's go have the conversation. Let's instigate the conversation. And if it isn't, then let it be that which it is. And so we see that here today. You see, the moment there's suspicion, the moment that there's suspicion about a person's motives, everything they do becomes tainted. Have you ever had somebody do this to you? All of a sudden, somebody gets suspicious of your motives. Huh, I wonder, I, wonder why, I wonder why as the boss you made that decision. I wonder why you as the parent, have you, any of you had a teenager who began to surmise why it is? How many of you have had a teenager who surmised about a decision you made in the family? They came up in their head, why, you, the reason you made that decision is because you hate me. <laughs> you ever had a teenager think that? The reason you made that decision is you don't want me to have any fun. As a parent, you made that decision because you, you don't want me to have any friends. <laughs> you don't want me to be cool. And all of a sudden, your kids are surmising about your intentions, about your motives, about your spirit. And here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Hey, when there's pride there, all of a sudden, there's going to be an unhealthy interest in controversy, unhealthy interest in, uh, in, in drama, an unhealthy interest in arguments. All of a sudden, there's going to be railings, this malicious gossip, rather than instigating the conversation with the individual, rather than being proactive and going to the person, rather than saying, okay, what the Bible says is I'm, as soon as I become aware of something, I'm supposed to lean into that, not lean away and lean into somebody else, but lean into that situation, and then all of a sudden avoid evil suspicions or evil surmising or a suspicious judging and looking and being suspicious of people's motives. Why? Because the moment there's suspicion about a person's motives, everything they do becomes tainted. When you get to a place where you're getting suspicious of people, all of a sudden everything they do is going to seem a little off. Everything. Every, everything you see about them is just going to be a little bit wrong. Like you, you, it's like you can't find any good because now all of a sudden the suspicion becomes the lens through which you see the circumstance. 
And that lens now taints everything that happens in that particular circumstance. And so this is why it's so important. This is why Paul is saying, hey, when there's pride there, and Paul is writing here to young Timothy, he's a young pastor. And so Paul is writing to this young pastor, and he's saying, here, I need to help you with some things in your church body. These are some things that are common in congregations. These are common in churches. When pride gets in, mark it down. This is going to happen. This is going to take place. And so Paul is telling young Timothy, hey, be careful. Be on guard of this. Watch this because this is a foregone conclusion when pride begins to take root here. All right? And so we see here, we got to be careful. Why? When suspicion becomes, when we get suspicious of people's motives, there could, it, that could come from a place of pride. If we need to know what's the biblical answer, the biblical answer is to lean into it, to pick up the phone, to send the text and say, hey, you know what? I, I'm sensing some things and I, I might be right, I might not be, but with a gracious spirit, say, I want to lean into this. Man, is there anything, is there anything, can, can, we, can we meet? Can we talk? Because I think I'm seeing this right. I, I think I'm viewing this, but I don't know. Let, can we have a conversation about this thing? Can we meet about this thing and, and kind of lean into this a little bit? But not only do we talk about here suspicious of people's motives, there's two things that human beings tend to do, like we see here in the, in the passage. One thing is surmising. We surmise about past motives. But there's also another thing we're going to see as we study, and that is as we judge people's, what we're going to call just future ramifications. And, and what I mean by that is simply this. Since you did this, I am fully confident that you will also do this, 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 and this. So it's not judging their motives of their heart. It's judging the fact that you know because your husband did A, you're confident he's doing B, C, D, and E. You know it. And because that church member did one, you know they're doing two, three, four, and five. <laughs> because, like, because, like, because you're like all-knowing. And you know the future. And you know exactly how things go down. And so in your mind, and here's what I'm talking about, in your head, you start thinking thoughts and playing this thing out and extrapolating this thing over and over and over again. Once again, I have to make the caveat. There is a place where we need to go and, and talk about these decisions in our family. Hey, what, what, what are you seeing down the road from this? Let's have those conversations. We're not, we're not saying there's not a place for healthy conversation. But what we are saying, it's highly dangerous for just to get something in our heads and all of a sudden being suspicious of people's motives, being suspicious of people's, you know, what they're going to do. And all of a sudden, you know, we think evil of these people and evil of what they'll accomplish. So let's just dive into it. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. Let's just talk through this a little bit. How many of you are familiar with 1 Corinthians 13? Raise your hand. Some, what is it known as? What chapter? It's known as the, the love chapter. Sometimes it's referred to. Now, let me just say this. For a lot of us, we tend to read this passage in the context of our marriage. So we read this and we think of, this is, this is how I'm supposed to interact with my spouse. And, and this is how I'm supposed to interact in my marriage. And this is how I'm supposed to interact with somebody I love. I'm not saying that can't be an application, but I'm going to just be very, very transparent with you. This is not specifically written to the marriage relationship, though it can apply to the marriage relationship. There are definitely applications to marriage, all right? 
If this were found in, say, Ephesians 5, where the passage is specifically speaking of marriage, then we could apply this specifically to marriage. However, this is not found in Ephesians chapter number 5. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. Huh, what's going on in this context? If we're going to get the right context for this, we can apply some of these things to marriage. We can apply some of these things to romantic, you know, uh, relationships and things. But what is actually going on in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13? Well, as we begin to study the context of this, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that's a little messed up. (laughs) They're struggling with each other. He's going to talk a little bit about some of the disunity that's taking place in the church. And so right in the middle of all this, he's going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, and he's going to say, hey, basically, this is how you love. And in the context, he's talking about how to love other people in your church. And that's what this is referring to. Now, apply it to your marriage, because there's some great things to your marriage. Apply it to your relationship with your children because it definitely applies. You know, take what we're going to talk about here and apply it, you know, to your relationship with your parents and your loved ones because there's some great applications. But in the full context of what's actually being referred to here, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that's going through a little bit of schism. And he's saying, hey, let me give you some thoughts on this. How do we, how do we deal with schism? How do we deal with friction? How do we deal with tension in the context of the local church? And here's this answer in a, in a nutshell. Love. <laughs> so this, this, is, this, is what, this is what it's going to take, love. And then he unpacks what love actually is. See, we're all for love, right? Everybody's like, yeah, love, you know? Uh, there was some you know, a great theologian of time gone by, uh, and they said something, love, love is all you need. I, re- I forget the name of those theologians, but, uh, you know, that was, that was, uh, it was something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but th- the reality is they don't just leave, they don't just say, they don't just say love, and then Paul just leaves it away. He says, let me define for you what Christ-centered love looks like. Let me unpack what love looks like when it's the Spirit loving through you. Not just your flesh, not just an ulterior motive. What does it look like when Christ is loving through you? Here's what he says. So the Bible word here is used charity. It's interplaceable with the word love here. Notice what he says here in verse number four. Love, it suffers long. All right? You say, how do I know when it's God loving through me? Because you're willing to suffer for that love. It hurts you a little bit. It's a little bit painful. And not just for a short while. You're willing to endure suffering for a, for a for long time. You see, part of biblical loving is, this is the first thing on the list. This is the first thing Paul says. You want to unpack what love looks like, specifically within the context of a local church? It means you're going you're gonna to have to suffer a little bit in order to express love. You can't do this without suffering. It's, there's a reason this is the first thing on the list. And is kind. There are going to be people here in your life, in your marriage, at your workplace. There are going to be people, even within this church, and they might do something in a way you wouldn't do it. And and you can I say this, there's still an opportunity for us to demonstrate the love and kindness. How do we know if it's Christ living his love through it? It's kind. It's nice. (laughs) It envious not. 
Charity vaunteth, or it doesn't, it doesn't get puffed up, it doesn't get proud, it doesn't get arrogant. Well, I know what's going on, and I'll, let me tell you what, what's, because I know what's going on, and so, and so now I'm going to tell you what's going on, because I know, I, I get it. There's this, this arrogance, this pride. See, true love doth not behave itself unseemly. Notice this, it seeketh not her own. When it is the love of Christ living through us, it's not really about our preference. It's not mainly about our agenda. It's about Christ and his word. It's about allowing the word of God to drive our decisions. Notice this, is not easily provoked. How do we know if it's God's love living through us? We don't get, we don't get ticked off really fast. We're not easily provoked. How many of you have met somebody and it just takes the littlest things just to blow them up? You ever met somebody like this? Man, it's like, it just, it can be anything. They can, they can, they can get frustrated and upset and cranky about just about anything. We all, we've all met. There are people just, they're easily provoked. It's, it's easy for them to get their feathers ruffled. It's like, you, we all know folks like this, and it's like, no matter what we do, <laughs> this one or that one, it's like, we just can't win, because why? They just easily provoke, they're just easily frustrated, they're just easily, you know, easy to get their feathers ruffled about this thing and about that thing, why? Why? Because when there's love, we're not, we, it's not easy to get our feathers ruffled. Notice this, thinketh no evil. How do I know when it's Christ loving through me? You'll think, this is what our series is about, what's on your mind. You don't think evil about what's happening in that person's life. I'm not saying you can't have a conversation. I'm not saying wisdom won't tell you to pick up the cell phone and instigate, look him in the eyes, and with a spirit that's that's humble and and a spirit that is kind and and a spirit that's willing to suffer long for this relationship. You enter into that thing. But you're not allowing your mind to think evil about what they're doing. This is hard to do. This is hard for me to do. I'm just going to be transparent with you. But this is how we know when it's the love of Christ. I, I find if in my mind I all of a sudden I'm starting to think like things that are negative or unhealthy about people, usually that's a, that's, a, that's a trigger for me. And I'm like, oh, okay, if that's happening, I need to pick up the phone. I need to instigate a conversation right now. And that usually is a trigger for me. Oh, I'm, my mind's starting to go there. No, my mind cannot go there. I will stop it from going there. I'll pick up the phone. I'll knock on the door. I'll go to the individual, go to the individuals. And if I don't, a lot of times the Holy Spirit will just take it. And there is no thinking evil. But if, if that temptation is starting to be there, that's a sign. Instigate the conversation. Move in that direction. Lean into the messiness. We say it this way. Address the mess. <laughs> address the mess. If the only time you engage an issue is when somebody else has instigated it, somebody else instigates it, and then all of a sudden, once they do, you're, you're, you're you just, like a machine gun. That's good. I'm, gl- I'm glad that's happening. But if that's happening, why don't you be the one to, to, to lean into it? If it's that big of a deal, be the one to, to draw into it. This is what Matthew tells us to do in situations within the body where there is that offense. 
You see, we, got, we can't be suspicious of people's past motives. No evil surmising. But on the other hand, we have to be careful and be, don't be suspicious of future ramifications. Why? Because love thinks no evil. What? It rejoices in truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. That's what love does. In the context of a local church, it, it believes all things. It hopes all things. It says, you know what? It's hard for me to think that about this person or those individuals, but man, I'm going to hope beyond hope. I'm going I'm to believe and I'm going to hope and I'm going to deeply pray that what is appearing and what is being communicated will be so. Why? That's hope. You're believing that God can do that in the life and through the lives of individuals. Notice this once again. He starts with suffers long, but then what does he end with? What does he end with? Endureth all things. Do you see like the capstone here? As he begins to unpack what it means to love in the context of a local church congregation, he says it suffers long and it endures all things. And that's a hard thing to do. We've all been here before. Uh, that's, that's pretty extreme. <laughs> How many of you wish it said endure most things? <laughs> How many of you wish it says endure a lot of things? Like that's, to- if I would have written the Bible, that's totally what I would have written. <laughs> <laughs> endure as much as you can. <laughs> and then I'm like seeing this, I'm like, ah, man. Endures all things. How many of you are thankful that you have a Savior that endured all things on your behalf? There wasn't, there wasn't one thing he wasn't able to endure to reconcile with you. And I would say this, when the love of Christ is living through us, there is nothing that we would be willing to do to reconcile the relationship with that other brother and sister in Christ. There's nothing. Why? Because we'll suffer long and we'll endure all things. That's how we know when it's Christ. Anything else, it might be good, it might be happy. It's not Christ. It might be ulterior motive, it might be selfish ambition, it might be the hope to feel good. But when it's God's love living through you, you're, we're going we're gonna to address the mess. We're going to lean into the uncomfortable situations. We're going to have the hard conversations, the awkward times. And yet we're going to do it with kindness, and we're going to do it with charity, and we're going to do it in a way that's humble. And, and we're not going to come across real, you know, this is my way. But there's just this simple kind of, there's a spirit to this thing. And it's hard to do. I don't always get this thing right. I fail at this a lot, but this is this passage reminds me of what the love of Christ is to look like. The heart that has been poisoned by suspicion no longer has room for love. It's really hard to love a spouse that you're suspicious about. It's just hard. It's really hard to love the coworker that you're suspicious about. It's really hard to love the family member that you're suspicious about. This is why we've got to be so careful to think no evil, but rather to believe all things and, and, and hope beyond hope that what's being declared and what's being said is what will happen by the grace and sovereignty of God. I'm going to put this up on the screens. Maybe it'll help some of us. We have a tendency to use up all our trust on past relationships. 
And some of you have experienced this. Maybe if you've gone through the painful uh, tragedy of a divorce, this, this might even resonate with you more. We have a tendency to use up all our trust on past relationships and then give the leftover suspicion, paranoia, and cynicism to any relationship that actually sticks around. And man, I'm telling you what, ow. This happens in a lot of ways. This happens, with, this happens in marriages. Uh, some of you had a dad that didn't stick around, a mom that didn't stick around, and now any relationship that comes into your life is like a reflection of that relationship, and, and, and you gave your trust to that person who left, and all of a sudden you give the suspicion, paranoia, and cynicism to the person who stays. This happens in church world with pastors, some pastor did something to you. Some church leader did something to you. And now all of a sudden what you give the current is that you give them the lens of that suspicion and that cynicism. And all of a sudden it, it, just, it just sabotages from the inside out. This happens in every It happens at work. Some of you had bosses that just totally threw you under the bus. And because of that, like any new boss that comes on, you just, you just can't, even, you can't even have a healthy relationship with that manager or with that boss because you gave your trust to the past one. And this one now gets the lens of your cynicism and your paranoia and all of your suspicion, and it sabotages that relationship from the very get-go. Our suspicions are most often a reflection not of the circumstances but of our own heart. Our suspicions are most often a reflection of our own heart condition rather than the product of any intrinsic behavior of the other. This is really important to get. Suspicions don't come necessarily from circumstances, and this is really important for you to grapple with. See, you think the suspicions come from the circumstances you're up against. Your mind tells you that your suspicions are justified because of the circumstances that take place. I'm not saying that they don't validate them, but what I am saying is at their very root, suspicion comes from the heart condition. Because a heart condition that's full of love can suffer long. A heart condition that's right where the Spirit of God is giving you so much love and so much acceptance and so so much affirmation that it just literally overflows to others, to, to kindness to those who have hurt you. Willingness to suffer long for those that have despitefully used you. This, this is when Christ is doing his work in a life. This is what happens. And so I'm saying this, that suspicion, while at times the circumstances will justify the suspicions, the suspicion itself always comes from the condition of the heart. And this is why it's so important where the Bible says you've got to guard your heart because out of it are the issues of life. All this stuff comes from the heart. Now, remember, we are focusing today on thoughts. Everything I've said today has to be viewed in the context of what happens between our ears Monday through Saturday. What we're talking about is we're talking about our thinking. There are places where we have to have very real conversations with our spouse. There are times we have to have conversations with our bosses and our managers and people we go to church with and pastors. This is, this is good. We're not talking about sweeping things under the rug. That's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is what happens between our ears, what happens in our minds when we're not with that person, when we're not having the conversation, when, it, when, when man, we're, try, we're supposed to be doing something that's not even related to that and that's just like a broken record keeps playing on in our brains, you know? That's what we have to guard against. 
And that's what we're talking about today. What's on your mind? Is what's on your mind suspicion of people's motives? Is what's on your mind evil thinking towards somebody? Love thinketh no evil. (laughs) It's not saying you can't have a conversation. It's not saying you can't talk it out. But when you talk it out, you believe all things. You hope all things. You hope against hope. Yeah, that's God's, God's in control. We'll end with this. Proverbs chapter number 18. Notice what it says. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. I, I'm so guilty of this at times where I'll, I'll make a conclusion before I've talked to the person, and I'm trying to mature in this area. I'm trying to come to a place where I'm trying to do a lot of listening. And that might make you come across passive at times. It might make people think you're weak at times. And you just got to give that to the Lord. Surrender that to his sovereignty and recognize that all things work together for good to them that love God. You will not be able to control people's perception of you. You're not going to be able to control your spouse's perception of you, your boss's perception of you, or every person in this room's perception of you, or even my perception of you. It's just an exercise in futility that'll never take place. But as before God, you say, God, you, man, I'm, I want to be sensitive to your heart, and, and I want to go about listening, and I want to hear, and I want to engage conversations. I want to, I want to instigate them in a spirit of kindness, and a spirit of graciousness, and a spirit of humility, and a spirit of meekness. And I, I want to go like a servant to these folks, and I want to have a conversation. And, and if these things need to happen, then we need to do it. But be very careful not to answer or to come to conclusions is what this is saying before you hear the whole matter we're masters at getting one side of the story and then all of a sudden coming to dogmatic conclusions about what's happening and that's great we need to listen but let's listen to the whole matter suspicions based on this thing or that thing and we got it we want to be careful of the bible says eventually it's going to lead to folly you're going, to feel ashamed, you're going to feel embarrassed is basically what this is saying. You're, you'll come to a place where there will be regular times if you engage in suspicion where you're going to feel embarrassed about it. Like, oh, I, I kind of got it a little bit, but then I kind of did it. And it's going to lead, there's going to lead to some embarrassment. And so we want to be careful of these things. Kind of as we wrap it up, suspicion often creates the perception of whatever it suspects. Suspicion often creates the perception of whatever it suspects. Yes, Lewis was a the- theologian, loved God and his word, and he said he often found that suspicion creates the perception of whatever it suspects. And as a pastor, I've seen this over and over and over and over again my, as well. You as parents, you've seen this in your teenagers over and over and over again. That suspicion, the seed of suspicion creates the perception of whatever it suspects. And as we've been saying now for years, we don't have to believe everything we think. We can allow God's word and his spirit to lead us along. So what, how are we going to move forward? In our relationships with others, we've, we've spent some time looking at our thoughts. How are we supposed to think about life, God? How are, we, how are we to think about ourselves? We spent a few weeks talking about that. Now we're wrapping up our thoughts about others. As we're, as we're concluding this series, how is it that God wants to renew your mind? Because oftentimes in life, if you're trying to change something in your relationships, see, some of you are trying so hard to change a relationship. 
maybe a relationship with your spouse, or maybe you're trying to change a relationship with a coworker, or maybe you're trying to change a relationship. You want it, you want it to get better. And, and, and I'm going to say this, it's not always from trying harder. In fact, most of the time when it comes to changing a relationship, it has very little to do with trying harder and pushing your agenda and making things happen and making sure they know what's, what's going on and how things are supposed to happen. Oftentimes, changing a relationship is not from trying harder. It's by thinking differently towards that relationship. And the answer is thinking through a lens, rather of not suspicion, but looking and l- through a lens of love. Love as it is defined by God. Suffers long. And is kind. It's not arrogant, but humble. Willing to bear all things. And believe all things. And, and hope beyond hope that this is what is going to happen by God's grace and God's sovereignty. Because all things work together for good. You say, Pastor, if I do what you're talking about, my life will be utterly crushed. I will get walked over like a doormat in my relationship, my marriage, at work. You're asking me to be a doormat. And I'm here to say this. God is sovereign even in the most terrible, difficult moments of our lives. He's not forsaking you when that person's betraying you, when that other group is stabbing you in the back. God has not betrayed you. You say, how can you say this? Look at, there's so many Bible characters. We could look at the life of Joseph and see how every time somebody was stabbing him in the back and every time somebody was maligning him and every time somebody forgot about him and every time somebody lied about him, God was saying, yep, one step closer to my divine sovereign plan for your life. And we can talk about people like Job. And every time the enemy came up against Job and every time the enemy said, hey, I've got you this time, Job, and tried to break him down and break him down and break him down, God had a, God had a sovereign plan for his life. And it wasn't moving him farther and farther away from God's plan. It was getting him closer and closer to God's great blessing. We can talk about Daniel in the lion's den. We can talk about Joseph in the pit. We can talk about Job going through the trials. We could go after character after character. Moses in the wilderness and I'm here to say this that God in his ultimate sovereignty is using every one of the difficult people in your life every one of the problems in your life every one of the trials in your life every one of the people that just drive you nuts and make you want to spit he's using all of it for his ultimate good in your life and he's using that pit to get you to a palace all things work together And that gossipy lady can't stop it. And that difficult coworker can't stop it. And that frustrating spouse can't stop it. Because you have grace. The grace to suffer long. To believe all things, to hope all things, to endure all things, to be kind. And trust, not the individual, but you trust God that all things work together for good. And when His Spirit leads you, embrace it, but don't ever lose hope. Don't lose trust that God is doing His work. And this changes everything because when you really trust God, your posture in engaging with somebody, your spirit in engaging with somebody is going to be very different. 
When, when you're starting to get a little bit like I'm losing control and, and life spiraling out of control, the way you engage your spouse is going to be very different than the way you engage your spouse when there's just a peace that God's on the throne. It'll just change your tone. It'll change the posture of your heart. It'll change the countenance of your face. <laughs> It'll change your forehead <laughs> when you're talking to that person. <laughs> And the wrinkles in your brow <laughs> when there's just a trust that he is on the throne. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.